Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. We've got a great speaker today. Hope you enjoy. Morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. And um, you know, it's brilliant because when Aaron gave me the title, Serve, my first reaction was, that sucks. And I was thinking, you know, how do you make a subject? Come on, be honest with you guys. How many times have you been running something, a ministry or a mission or the Scouts BBs, and you say, can I have 30 volunteers? And you put a sheet up. And the same three wee Marthas, you know, that sign up for everything, his name's on the sheet. Let's be honest with you guys. Sometimes, when I was a child, my reaction any time I heard the word serve was, that sucks until you are playing tennis and you're getting whacked and somebody says, it's your serve. You go, oh, yeah, beauty. Just maybe, just maybe I could hit a humdinger. Just, you know, one humdinger that will turn the game around. And it's the only time, let's be honest, I could remember and as a child, when the word serve didn't suck. And so I thought, okay, the scripture gives us great passages where Jesus talks about how brilliant it is to be a servant. And I thought, well, I know the logos, God, and uh, I could just turn out the same thing you hear in every other sermon. But if I'm being honest with you, God, I'm struggling. I need a reamer. I need a truth bomb. Not so that we could get two more people to serve in the cafe, but something that would transform the mindset, the lifestyle, and the culture of every single Christian and take their walk with God onto a whole new level. When David said this morning about using your summer as a holiday, a holy day, and about the presence of God. That's the DNA of this church. And the DNA of this church, we used to take a hundred of us to England, to the Bible weeks, and the whole thing was just serve. And that was our summer holiday, and so it's exciting to hear what's going on. But I want to, I was asking God, God, give me something, a rhema, a revelation, a download from heaven, some kind of truth bomb that could radically change the Christian culture in this city, this nation, and in Europe, and the nations of the earth. And then it happened. And it didn't happen the way I expected. It didn't happen in the place expected. And I'm asking God to help me drop this truth bomb today. Because my goal today is not just to get us serving a little bit more here and there. My goal is to get us to the place where we see what Jesus saw. And we're going to walk through John, 4, John 13 in a moment, and we're going to see that Jesus' constant challenge was to get the disciples to see what he saw. And once they saw what he saw, he knew he dropped the bomb. But it wasn't easy. And so, I want to start with a bird. There is a bird in Canada that sits on the lakes in Canada called the Luna bird. I actually have a hunch it's where we get the word lunatic, but I'm not too sure. But the Luna bird is a brilliant bird. Not just because it mates all day long. It's because it has this fantastic calling sound. And the Luna bird's calling sound is amazing because the Luna bird is only happy when it has the lake to itself. And so, if you take a ghetto blaster, is anybody old enough to remember them? If you take a sound box or a ghetto blaster and a fake CD, a CD with an imitation sound of a Luna bird, and you make that call, the Luna bird, when it hears the call, will reply. And then when it hears the call again, it will reply. 
it will reply, but eventually the lunar bird hops off because the lunar bird believes that this is a bigger perceived threat of a lunar bird coming to take its turf. It's a fake. It's just some plonker with a boombox. But the lunar bird is gone now. And we have in this little picture here the number one problem in Christianity all across the world when it comes to serving. Because when somebody puts a list up to serve in any area, boom, you immediately think, ha, it's a trap. I'm going to be stuck in some back room. <laughs> if I sign up for this, teaching snotty-nosed kids for the next 10 years, I'll never get out of it. <laughs> There's this perceived lunar bird is going to hook you. And so it's not just in groups and churches that's an issue. It's an issue in every Christian's individual life. Because to transform a city, we have to close the gap between perceived threat and the truth. And here's the thing, Johnny gets excited because the teacher asked Johnny, who's seven, who has the answer to this question? Johnny's hand shoots up. The teacher says, we, we now have a Chinese restaurant in town. And the teacher asked the question, can anybody name a Chinese dish? Anybody's been to an Indian restaurant? And Johnny's all excited, and he shoots his hand up, and Johnny goes, I know a Chinese dish, miss. A wooden bowl. That's a Chinese dish. By the way, it's a true story. It happened in my class. A wooden bowl. And the whole class, the lunar bird rises up and laughs. And Johnny makes a decision. I ain't going to take any more risks. I ain't going to answer any more questions. I ain't going to sign up for nothing because there's a huge perceived threat ready to gobble me up. The class became the fake lunar bird that day. And so when you take on a new job or God calls you into a new faith mission or anything new, what's the first thing that happens? The lunar bird rises again. And even though most of us don't mind serving a little hour here or hour or two, there's no danger. We're going to put a name to that thing because that lunar bird's going to get us. And we're trapped for the rest of our days. And in John, <laughs> in John, when I read about the lunar bird, John 14 came alive for me. John 13. Because Jesus' perception of serve is completely opposite to his disciples. And it's brilliant when you look at it through the eyes of the lunar bird. Because, well, let's, let's read scripture together. John 13, if you've got a Bible, electronic or paper, let's open it up. If not, I'll read it to you. John 13, let's walk through this great scenario. And um, Jesus doesn't just put up a serving list. He comes in the back door. Watch this one. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that his hour had come. This will put you in the mood for Easter, guys. A couple of Easter passages for you today. His time had come to leave this world. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to pray to Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and they had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He poured some water into the basin. Let's see if the waist's not too big. He did this incredible thing. He tied a towel around his waist. He doesn't say this here, but I got a hunch Simon Peter's smelling a rat. 
he's like, I know there's a lunar bird in there somewhere. I don't know what it is, what it looks like, but he's already, my hunch is he's already getting ready to throw a stropper. Is that such a word? It is not. And so Jesus puts a towel on his waist, and after he poured water in the basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, do you not realize now what I'm doing? In other words, you don't see it, Peter. You don't see it. But later you will understand. No, Peter said, you're never going to wash my feet. You're never going to wash my feet. He has a mindset of serving that's completely opposite to Jesus. He was looking for the Messiah that was going to do this in some highfalutin, and he, and he can't connect with this lowly Jesus doing this lowly thing. You'll never wash my feet. Peter, I love Peter, how he just flips so quickly. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you got no part with me. Beautiful. Peter said, do you know what? Just, just do the works, eh? Just do the head and the horns as well. Just do the whole shebang. Just go for it, mate. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. <laughs> their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though every one of you, though not every one of you, for one is going to betray them. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on and he returned to this place. And he said, do you understand what I've done for you? The penny's beginning to drop. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. He brings out the lunar bird. <laughs> He's just signed every single one of them up for his new feet washing club. And I've got a hunch, it doesn't say that Peter knew it. He knew what was coming. This is not just a little, hey, let's tickle the guy's feet. He knew, he, I, I got a hunch he's smelling something. Oh no, where are we going with this? I thought we we're gonna be in royal chariots and we're gonna do call heaven down and we're gonna do this. And you're telling me, you whip out this lunar bird, you nail me. He's just signed them up for his serving club, his foot washing club. He's nailed them. And Simon Peter shifts and understands that no stropper whips the topper. Jesus faced every stropper head on and topped it with a higher level insight. So he's now got all of, his, all of his disciples and his feet washing team. And Jesus finally gets them to see, but he's not finished. There's something else they don't see. And we'll shift on in the story now to the day Jesus appears to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. If you've got a Bible in Luke 24, 13, Jesus begins to unwrap the bomb. Here it goes. Verse 1, on the day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. This is a dark day, by the way, guys. This is a dark day. About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that happened. As they talked, discussed these things with them, Jesus himself comes up and he walks alongside them. And that's his brilliant line, but they were kept. But they were kept. But they were kept. Hang on to that for recognizing them. And when they were blind or not switched on, 
They had no choice. They were kept. It's brilliant. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood with their faces downcast. Their faces downcast. Everything that could possibly go wrong with their dream has gone wrong. One of them named Cleopas and asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, Jesus asked of Nazareth as if he didn't know. They replied, well, he was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was going to do the business. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's now three days since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they couldn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just, ah, oh, let's put you in the mood for Easter. They went to the tomb, and they found it just as it said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to speak, all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to come and suffer these things, then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained the scripture to them. Now, this is where he's, he's coming to it. And as he approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now catch this one, catch this one, because Aaron talked a little bit about eating together. He said, when he was at the table with them, breaking bread and gave thanks, they broke it and he began to give it to them. And then it happened. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And they asked themselves, was our hearts not burning when we were talking to that guy on the road? They got up and returned to Jerusalem. Verse 35, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized in them when he broke bread to them. So, guys, are you ready for the truth bomb? This is the one he dropped on me, and I can honestly say I could give you a different miracle that's happened every single day in my walk with God since this bomb was dropped. Here's the bomb. I was on my way to the A&E at midnight in the back of an ambulance. Someone was lying on the bed fighting for his life. I'd been in bed seven days with antibiotics for uh, breathing issues and the flu and steroids. And I get a call and I'm like, this sucks. I need to just lie and be selfish thinking myself, but I got a call to go. I'm in the back of the ambulance with this guy. He's fighting the nurses. He's fighting the police for 90 minutes, refusing to go. But if he don't go, he's going to die. I don't mind telling you, I was a stropper. I was a Simon Peter. I said, you know, God, this sucks. I'll lay into secret God. This is not really my passion. It's not my passion. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm wired for my passion and that. It's not really my passion. And then he spoke to me. He said, all your life, you've gone to the ends of the earth to seek my presence. My conscious presence. But you missed something. From this moment on, I want you to seek my unconscious presence because it's everywhere. Oh my goodness me. I'll say it again. And it's the only point I've got. I've got four applications for it, but I've got it's the only point I've got. This changes everything. 
Brother Lawrence, who wrote the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, said, I never served a human being in my life. If you serve human beings, you get serving, you get a, a, a human being's reward. And you're guaranteed to be let down because the people you serve most and love most will guarantee to hurt you some way and some time. It's just how it works. But here's the thing. His unconscious presence was there. He even chucked a few feelings in for them. He was, he was giving them a couple of wee freebies to just jolt them away to say, hey, there's something going on here. But even though he gave them the feelings, they didn't get it. So what is the unconscious presence of God? It's the presence of God that enters every single situation. You invite him, but there are no feelings. Because most times God will give you a download from heaven, a conscious touch of his presence. Conscious touch of his presence. Most times it will last 10, 20 seconds. And he did this with the disciples. As soon as he broke bread, as soon as they saw it, as soon as they're conscious, as soon as they're conscious, man, it's the man, it's the man, it's the man. Boom, he disappears. Why? Because it's more important to God for you to build your trust in his unconscious presence than it is for you to enjoy his conscious presence. Does that make sense, guys? Well, as I'm in the ambulance, the whole thing changes now. And he lets me see, you weren't visiting a sick man. You were visiting me. Changes everything. And then he finished with this one. And he said, if you truly want to find my presence, Jimmy, for the rest of your life, you'll find it in the bedpans of people's lives more than you will on the platforms of their lives. Oh, yeah, beauty. That visit to that sick person that day changed everything. I'm not visiting somebody anymore. I'm not emptying just anybody's pail of urine and filled with fag ash. The presence of Jesus is here now. I'm not driving to some serving deal. I'm, I'm now every single event. I'm now the presence of Jesus because the Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. So if you want it, I love going to meetings, revival meetings, and big meetings, and holiday camps, and all these, because of the tangible presence of God, it's so from there. But that's, you can't live on the tangible. You have to live on the unconscious, because that's where faith and trust operates. And I want to get you excited. He is in every situation, every meal, every place you go, if you will simply Begin to practice and expect the unconscious presence of God. I haven't used one of these in I don't know how long, so if it didn't work, it don't work. Unconscious, that's my point. So I'm in the gymnasium, and I say, Lord, I've only been here a week. I don't want to cause a riot here, but hey, whatever you're up for, I'm up for. I invite him there. I said, would your presence just come? And two young coaches in the new gym said to me, excuse me, sir, are you looking for a coach? I said, no, but you are. Because you know how to do muscles, but you don't know where you're going. And if you don't have a purpose in life, you need a coach. He sounded a little bit arrogant, and I'm like, oh, Lord. I said, I left my phone number on the table. Nine o'clock that night, I get a message. Hey. I need a purpose. I need to get a life. We met the next day in the car park outside Starbucks, and a young man wonderfully, wonderfully, wonderfully gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's applaud the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. In the gym. Colin Lee told me that Aaron's new name in the gym is JC. Is that for Jesus Christ? <laughs> Aaron is having such an impact in the gym now. The presence of God. Brothers and sisters, if there's one thing about walking with Jesus 
that's excited me. I've pursued all my days. It's the presence of God. Moses said, I can't go nowhere, Thara. But I made a big mistake. I've consciously saw the conscious presence of God. But what if by faith and by trust, you entered every situation and you did these four things? You invited to every single contract, job, trouble, his presence. You expected his presence to show up. You listened to what he wants you to do in that moment of his presence. Guys, listen, um, I know I get a little bit excited too sometimes, but this is the business. Because there's no greater desire in God's heart than you and I walk close with him. That you and I enjoy his presence every moment, every day. Is it possible? 100%. Are you going to blow it? 100%. And next one, when he tells you to do something, you act upon it. I was in a hurry running up the high street. And I just come out the gym and I'm in my shorts. It's freezing cold. And there's a young man sitting outside the bakers. His face is smashed. Absolutely smashed. And I said to him, what are we drinking today? He said, let's start with tea. I said, okay. So we're sitting there. Oh man, I'm telling you, fun. The fun you're going to have. I promise you. It's not just, oh, I'm served. It, I'm talking the fun. When you make space for God to show up in his presence and his power, you're entering a world of fun. Now I've just made a total mess in my notes. I'm, I'm at the end of my sermon now rather than the middle and, and I know you could rejoice about that. But I'm in the high street and it's brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm up for it now. I'm just inviting God's presence just to see what happened. And me and Mr. Bashface is sitting, having a, sharing a couple of sausage rolls and a hot drink, having the time of my life. And Mr. Orange Coat shows up in this moment. The happiest servant I've seen in my life. His hair is like a scarecrow. His long, luminous, vis-a-vis orange coat, is, it's like he's been rolling about in the glen. He said, hey guys, how you doing? I said, oh, and I'm like, God, this is, do you know, all my life, all my life, I've never missed space for your unconscious presence, but I'm sensing you more right now in this moment. I don't know what you're going to do next, but hey, I'm up for it. So Mr. Orange Coat turns to me first. He said, hey, son, I'm the man. I'm the high street man. Anybody on this high street got any problem, wheelchairs, poor, old, young, anybody needs any help, I'm the man. And he's the biggest smile ever. I'm like, what is going on? The crowd is starting to gather. He said, I'm your man. And he said, so you need any help, sir? I'm your man. And then he looked me straight in the eye. He said, so how long have you been homeless, sir? I know I felt like a crow, but I didn't even know I looked like one in that moment. How long have you been homeless? And you know, the Bible says you must season your words with salt. It would be easy to say, hey, orange coat, get a life, son. But the Bible says you must season your words with salt. So I said, you know what, sir? I know what you're saying, I look homeless, but the good news is some time ago, I managed to find somewhere to live. He was all right with that. He says, ah, but you don't get it, mate. He said, uh, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm kind of a minister. And he said, hi, but I get paid for what I do. I says, you get paid? Yeah, I get paid, and I'm intrigued now. I said, does the council pay you? No. Does a charity pay you? No. I said, who pays you? And I'm telling you now, he's got the biggest enthusiastic smile you've ever seen. He says, I'll tell you. The homeless guys. <laughs> I, said, I said, so let me get this right. Your job is taking money off the homeless, mate. No, 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 no. It's not like that. He says, if I do a good enough job, they buy me a cup of tea. It's brilliant. That's how I get paid. And then he, and then, and then he, he blows it. The wee, the wee guy's sitting there all smiling. If I do a good enough job, they buy me a cup of tea. Best job in the town. 
So then he says, and by the way, I'll serve anybody. But a drug addict. Anybody. Now this wee guy sitting beside me, he's just told me he's a heroin addict. And I says, why don't you serve addicts? He says, well, no, 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 no. I'll serve anybody but addicts. And again, I've got to get the soul out a little bit. I says, you know, when, when you think about it, I know what you're saying, but can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. Do you not think we're all addicts? What do you mean? I says, well, some are addicted to drugs. Some are addicted to chocolate. And others are addicted to their opinion. Now, a drug could kill you and your family, but an opinion can kill a whole town. Ah, he said, I think I'll change my opinion then. Eh? I think I'll change my But I just said one of the most wonderful, and I knew the Holy Ghost is moving. There's a presence going on now. And I make my way down to Bruce Street to see what the next bit of fun is. And as I'm standing outside the Bruce Tavern in Bruce Street, this voice speaks to me and says, jump back quickly to make space for this car to go around a guy who was standing outside his van. And I hear that guy screaming because the van's going to hit him. A car's going to hit him. So I jump back to make space for this little old lady to go around this guy. And the next thing I hear is screaming smash. He's managed to jump out the way, but his, her wing mirror has absolutely clattered his arm. I hear his accent, it's foreign. I said, hey, let's just, let's just stay calm. Just get some insurance details, exchange it. That's how it works in this country. And the insurance people will fix it. You don't have to get angry at the lady. So he runs and rips the car door open, the old lady, and he sees us an old lady. How many people know that Jesus loves to nail you in the unconscious moments? Because I'm like, what the heck is going on now? I was homeless a minute ago. No, there's motors bashing people within 20 minutes. The young man seizes an old lady. He gives her a cuddle like it's his mum. He says, you don't have to worry about a thing. He says, arms can be fixed. And he walked round. And he says, but don't go, madam. Let me straighten your wing mirror for He served. He served. He had every right. But he served. He said, let me straighten your wing mirror so you don't have any more trouble on your way home. And then he comes back, he gives another hug, and he said, I hope you're going to be okay, madam. I've got Jesus all over this. And me and my stupid one-liners, so often I say, and none of you are like this, but I say the most stupid things because I can't think of any. I, the pub people were out looking at this now. And I said, mate, I don't know what country you're coming from, but I don't know a single ranger supporter that would have just done what you did. How many times do you say stupid things, eh? 39 of the miracles of Jesus, 39 of his 40 miracles were done by somebody serving in the bedpan world, in the marketplace, only one in the temple. And as I walked up Bruce Street trying to make sense of all this, I have a flashback. Not an LSD one that I used to get. It was a Holy Spirit one. And he told me what it was all about. He said, I waited for this moment to let you see something, Jimmy. Because you stood on the spot 40 years ago. And at that pub came a young man needing Jesus, called Lenny Turk. And you took him by his wounded arm. I mean, wounded because he didn't know Jesus. And we marched him up to church. And that's where the journey began. That's where the journey began because he was the founding, along with his brother Adrian and some of their great brothers. And then I walked 10 more meters and there was Bruce Hall, Bruce Street Hall, the gym hall. And the Holy Spirit comes down again. I'm thinking, I don't know if I can get home today. And I get another flashback. The first time I ever walked into Bruce Street Hall. And who was sitting there but 
Ian Dora, little goatee beard, long hair, feral pullover. God just took me back. And he said, you didn't even believe in the Holy Spirit then. You didn't even believe in God's presence then. But my presence, unconscious presence, started that day. Those are the guys, none of this building, none of these chairs would have been there without the unconscious visitation of the presence of God in Bruce Street. Let's give it up for the living God. Come on, guys. And then he said this to me, because I love serving Jesus in my passion. I love doing that. But then he said this to me, Jimmy, let me straighten you out. I think, I'm 66 now, God. Can you just give me a break? You've been straightening me out for 40 years now. He's like, one more for today. Your passion is for you. Your purpose is for others. We are humdinging beauty. He's like, show me anybody on the planet that go excited about washing minging feet. Not even the disciples go excited about that. Show me anybody gets really excited about the bedpan world. Come on. And it shocked me. Now, of course, God uses your passion and does great things through it. But let's be honest. There's no sacrifice in your passion. None. You just do what you enjoy doing. Simple as that. I'm, I, I'm not exaggerating. I put at least 100 hours of research into one pokey wee talk. But it's my passion. That's no sacrifice. Your sacrifice and faith only kicks in when you're doing your purpose. And usually, it's the bad part of the world. And here's what he said to me this morning. Every single person you meet in life has had at least one bedpan moment or they're having one moment in their life where everything's gone down the toilet. And you get to transform your city by putting your spiritual towel on each day, by putting your anointing on day, and inviting God's presence. Every situation, every bus, every cafe, invite his presence into that place. Invite his presence. Invite his presence. I don't have time to tell you what happened every other day, but I want to get you excited. His presence is on you right now. Stephen and Zara, could you bring this little baby to the platform? Come on, bring it here. How many of you managed to see the Resilience movie during the week? Oh, my word. In that one movie, you know, many things touched me. There's a little envelope a little child had, a little African child had, I believe, and on the envelope was the name Sophia. And I'm like, God, I'm trying to concentrate on this movie, but his unconscious presence is now everywhere. And you know, two, three months ago, Sarah wasn't particularly looking forward to this birth, and I've not met too many ladies who are. For a reason that you may or may not know, but the baby was facing the wrong way. Same as last time. And that's not the best deal, I am told. And we're in Sweden, Elm and I, and having coffee five o'clock one night, just chilling out in the room, and boom! It happens. The conscious presence of God, which happens ten times more in my wife's life than it does in mine, by the way. It's usually all unconscious for me. But she interrupts me and she said, I see it. And I now see. She's like in an open vision, open trial. I see it, Jimmy. We weren't even praying. She said, I see it. I see Sophia. We didn't know the name at the time. We see the baby turning and facing the right way. And then each test after that, Elma would come to me and say, oh, man, what was all that about? What was that 10-second conscious about? Because every test after that, the baby still was not turning. And the day they went to the hospital, she's still not turning. And Elma's like, what is that about? I said, I'll tell you what it's about, Elma. It's about learning that you get 10-second downloads so that you will build trust when there is no download. 
and no feelings. You will build an amazing trust that if God says, I never leave you, I never forsake you. If God says he's with you in every situation, if God says his presence never leaves you, I sent a message to Isaac Kelly, and I said to Isaac, Hillsongs is transforming every city they go in. There are thousands appear like this. And Isaac said to me, I said, Isaac, teach me something. Teach me a couple of things. This is what he said. He said, week in and week out. In America, they only expect you to show up at church one and three now. In the UK, one and two. But in Hillsong, it's the opposite. It's two and one. He said, we have this awesome, exciting, serving culture. And I saw it. When they opened Edinburgh, I was asked to go and help and meet the UK leaders. And I saw it. They had an army of volunteers serving. And he said, week in and week out, we have this brilliant saying in Hillsong, and I love it. He said, we don't ever, ever respond when there's a call to serve with, do I have to do that? We ask the question, do I really get to do that for Jesus? Oh, I said, Isaac, can I use that in my sermon? Do I really get to do that? Do I really get to do that? And then I said to him, Isaac, can I run something by you? I'm thinking of preaching on Sunday because you're a thousand miles away and you're in a different world and I like to get people's perspective and I love to learn from young people. I said, I'm thinking of talking about the unconscious presence of God because I have a sense God's greatest desire is that we walk close with him. And even in our most troubled situations, and I've got a sense, Isaac, that this is a way to transform a city. And this is what Isaac said. He said, Jimmy, that's the number one thing I'm seeking this year in my life. I'm reading a book by John Eldridge called Walking with God. John Eldridge is one of the greatest modern-day authors ever. And he said, I'm reading a book called Walking with God. I said, Isaac, before I finish this email... Uh, I'll be reading that book. 30 seconds, I downloaded it in Kindle and began to read. Because I can't get enough of anybody that'll teach me how to walk close with God and experience his unconscious presence. And the disciples' eyes were opened. He was there. They didn't see it. They were kept. Now, late into secret, most times, you're kept. In the old days, we used to say, we used to say, he's a kept man. If the lady worked and he didn't, he was a kept man. But most times, you are kept from seeing it and feeling it. So you will build trust in your faith and expect it, live it, listen, and act upon it. And I said, I think that's what God's trying to teach us, Elma, with that vision. Because in the vision, she saw this little baby turn around. And the baby had a blue haze all the way around it. 60 seconds. I won't go into details on it, don't worry. Is this true? 60 seconds. Tell us, what happened 60 seconds before she appeared? Yeah, she um, just last minute turned turned round, so uh, made a, a quicker entrance. <laughs> 60 seconds to go. Come on, guys, come on. Our youth pastors, Zara and Stephen, and the blue of blessing God. Thank you, guys, you take your seat. Thank you for wearing that blue jumper today, Stephen. You're flowing in the spirit. And I want to finish with this, guys. I want us to sing, God, you're so good. And I want to encourage you today, when a tough thing comes to your mind, just invite the presence of God. Because I'm telling you now, every other mother I know is worried about bringing a baby into this world. But I want every single mother on the planet that's having a baby to get this picture. There's a blue haze representing the peace and the presence of God.
and God's promise in your darkest place. You go buy a diamond tomorrow in the jewelers and they will first roll out a black cloth so the diamond can shine brighter. You'll find God's presence, the diamond Jesus, in the blackest, darkest moments of your life and other people's. And I want to challenge you to a seven day of miracles. Just beginning, you could do it for the rest of your life. But to accept the greatest desire of God's heart is to be in communion with you. Communion. Communion. The reason we take communion is to thank him and celebrate him, but it's, it's to point us towards his heart's the greatest desire. He wants communion with you. He wants communion with you. And all he's asking that you do, when you wake up in the morning and that leg's aching, just invite the presence of God. Alma was having very bad, you know, I could tell, you know, you could tell when a woman's troubled in her sleep. I said, God, just bring your presence. And the breathing changed like that. You will see your situations and the situations of other people's life. Your joy in following Jesus when you decide never again to serve another human being and get upset when you don't get the human being's reward. But do what Brother Lawrence did, say, I'm going to do all for the glory of God. Whether they kick me or spit me is utterly irrelevant. I'm not doing it for them. Of course you're blessing, but you're doing it. And your reward in heaven is great. Who in this room would be up to committing himself to a minimum of seven days of inviting the presence of God into every situation? Who would be up for that? Come on, guys. Even just consider it. I promise you, I promise you, this is what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. When you do that, you open up the world your world and others, you become a channel of the presence of God to flow you to somebody's life. People, the reason I sat beside the drug addict, I had a question for him. I wanted to learn from him. I said, son, what do you think is the cause of depression and addiction? Well, he said, the start of the day, my wife and three kids left me. I said, bullseye. Because the root cause of depression and addiction is not what we're told. It's one thing. Disconnection. When a human being is disconnected from their loved ones and disconnected from their God and disconnected from their purpose in life and disconnected from the joy of serving in God's teams and transforming cities. When you, wherever you find all of these seven disconnections going on, you find somebody who's connected with an alternative. And here's the great thing. When a connection took place in the Garden of Eden, as God walked in the chill of the day. Sometimes I think God's a Scotsman. He walked in the chill of the day. And the disconnection came. But then Jesus at Calvary, he came. And he's here right now. And he's in that troubled situation. But you never invited him in. He's in that worry, that concern, but you didn't invite him in. With every eye closed, I'd like us to stand and sing this song. And as you do by faith, say, God, my life is yours. My days are yours. My time is yours. I want to walk humbly, but in intimacy and communion with you. Some time ago, I invited God. When I read that scripture, it said, When I read that scripture that said, whatever it said, because I've completely forgot, because my mind's gone blank. Forgive me. Yeah, disciple nations. I had to cheat to ask God to give me China. 
I said, if I want to disciple a nation, I'd like to start with China. I got stuff to share with you on China very, very soon. It's flipping mind-blowing. It's taking place, but we're running out of time. I'll tell you another time. And in my lifetime, in my lifetime, I'm crazy enough to believe in my lifetime. I believe I'm going to see it. China being discipled for Jesus Christ like many other nations. That's how awesome his power and his presence is. So, Father God, this is my prayer. Anoint each one of us with tremendous faith that if we ask, you will come. And we're not going to look for the conscious 10-second moments no more. We're going to stretch our trust muscle and our faith muscle and our vision muscle. We're going to look to see you. And God, you have our permission to cause us to serve wherever, however, whenever you lead. And as we sing this song, guys, please just bask. Bask in the fact that when you were in your mother's womb, the haze was there. The presence of God was there. And even in your worst moments, it's there. And now it's there. And when you leave here, it's there. And when you wake up in the morning, it's there. But he waits for your invitation. With that in mind, guys, purely and simply for the goodness of God who's led you all your days, mostly unconsciously, why don't you put your hands together and applause for 60 seconds. The goodness of God. Come on, let's stand, guys. The goodness of God. Have a great week, guys. Seven days of miracles.